Amen. While we are in Second uh, Peter, and I was, uh, as I was praying, <clears throat> I did mention to all of you that today we will be finishing Second Peter. We're actually in Second Peter chapter 3, and we know that there is so much that we have learned from this scripture, or this, uh, I should say, this book. And we know that the purpose of the book was for each and every one of us to gain additional knowledge. And Peter has definitely given this to us all. <clears throat> and we know that in this book, the book was about exposing false teachers, exposing their motives and their dest destructive doctrines. And as we were covering last month, in, uh, or last week, I should say, in chapter 3, we know that the Lord has also given us end-time prophecy. And one thing that we know as we've been going through this Peter has given us the course of events, the things that will be taking place, you know, when it comes to the end times, when it comes to the course of events, when it comes to the prophecies that have been foretold. We know that it all ends with the Lord, uh, the Lord establishing uh, the new heavens and the new earth and us reigning with him. And we know that the subject matter today is to live for his glory. And one thing that we know as church people, as Christians, the question will be for each and every one of us, who do you live for and how do we live? See, I want us to walk away with this. You know, who are we living for and how are we living? You know, as we talk about this, as we talk about living for God's glory, the word of God is going to exhort us in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, in a manner that each and every one of us should be living by. You know, as we, as we get into the scriptures, Let's go ahead and let's read what the Lord has to share with us. And we're going to begin in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You know, this verse begins with the word, therefore. You know, whenever you have the word, therefore, understand one thing, that the word, therefore, is always going to speak on something. It is a result of something that we read previously. You know, it's always a result of what happened with a previous event or statement. And in this case, as we're reading the word from his verse, Peter is exhorting us. He's instructing us the manner of persons that we ought to be. That's what he's saying there. And so in order to understand why we are to be these persons that he's called us to be, it's important to read the previous verse to get insight as to what Peter is calling us to do. So with that, we need to read verse 10. And verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You know, we're introduced to that word in, uh, or to the phrase in verse 10 that says, the day of the Lord. You know, as we look at this, what is the day of the Lord? What is this that Peter is talking about? The day of the Lord refers to Jacob's trouble. It refers to the tribulation period. And in talking about the end time events, it's important for us to understand what the course of events are. And we went over this last week, but it's important for us to understand the message that Peter wants us to have it's important for us to repeat this, for you to understand what it is that Peter is exhorting us to do. Why? When it comes to the course of events, 
of the end times, we know that it all begins with the rapture of the church. And what is the rapture of the church? For those of you that don't know, it is the teaching that we have from the scriptures that reveals to us that the followers, followers of Christ, which make up the church today, they're going to be caught up. They're going to be united with Christ in the clouds. And we know that after the rapture of the church, what's going to happen or what's going to come forth is the seven-year tribulation period. And after the seven-year tribulation period comes the second coming of Christ. And we know that in the second coming, it's gonna, he's going to come now to battle. And he's going to battle what? The forces of evil, the enemies of the Lord. And then after this battle, which is called the Battle of Armageddon, we know one thing. We know that the millennial kingdom will be established. And what is the millennial kingdom? The millennial kingdom is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we know that during this thousand-year reign, Christ will be reigning. But one thing we know is that Satan was not thrown into the lake of fire. Satan was thrown into prison, and that is called the bottomless pit. And after the thousand-year reign of Christ, Satan will actually be let out of this prison. And he will come out, and he will deceive, and they will come against the Lord, and once again try to battle the Lord, but we know that that's not much of a battle. And so what happens there is that Satan uh, is reunited with the Antichrist and with the false prophet who are all in the lake of fire. And what happens after the millennial kingdom and after Satan and the Antichrist, uh, well, after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, that we're going to have the great white throne judgment. And what is this judgment? This judgment is for all those that rejected the Lord. They will actually be thrown also into the lake of fire where Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are. And then after the great white throne judgment, what we're going to have is we're going to have the new heaven and the new earth that, we, that will be ushered in, that will be brought forth. And we know during this time that Christ will reign forever and ever in righteousness on heaven and on earth, and we will be reigning with him. So as Peter speaks of the day of the Lord, this is the events that he's talking about. And so if he's talking about knowing that, you know what, that the church is going to get raptured, knowing that we're going to have the tribulation and the millennial kingdom and then the new heavens and the new earth, what persons ought we to be? See, this is what Peter wants to bring to the forefront of our, of our minds. How are we to be? What conduct are we to have? See, what are we to be? And this is not really a question, but it's actually a statement. The exhortation from Peter is that you and I should have holy conduct, as he says, and that we should also have godliness. You know, when we think about this, right, we think to ourselves, you know what, if we're going to be reigning with Christ forever and ever and ever, isn't this the manner that we should be living in? Isn't this the way we should be behaving? See, if we have the mindset that Christ is going to come, then we're going to want to live this way. You know what, it's just like anything else, right? If we know that we're going to receive something, then you know what, then we should be working towards it and we should be living in a manner to receive that which we're going to have. How many of us here have a driver's license? I think most of us, right? I think everyone that's in here, the kids are in their youth groups. We know that the children are also. But uh, most of us here have driver's license. And do you remember 
when you went to take your driver's test. What did you do? You used to study a lot, right? And, and what you did is you were also following the, the laws of the state of California, right, in order to, to practice and to do things well, in order to receive that driver's license that gave you the right and the privilege to drive here in California. See, we were behaving and driving and doing things a certain way to receive that. And so when it comes to us as Christians, understand one thing. We have something greater than a driver's license. When it comes to Christ and receiving that, all that Christ has for us, we are actually sons of God. And when the Lord returns to set up his kingdom, we're not going to be driving in that kingdom. We're actually going to be reigning in that kingdom. And if you and I are going to be reigning in that kingdom, let us not forget this. Let us not forget exactly what God has called us to be. You know, one thing that we know, it's just like a driver's license. How many of you, after you got your driver's license and you were driving for about a month or two months or maybe six months, you began to what? Pass the red light. You began to make rolling stops. You began to speed on the freeway, right? Going like 80 miles an hour. But prior to receiving your driver's license, you were doing everything that you should do. But after that, you got complacent. And you began to just do these things. And so one thing we know is that this can happen to us as Christians too. Understand, we become complacent and we take our eyes off of the prize. We forget to look at the things that are ahead of us. We forget to keep our eyes on the prize, which is everything that God has promised us. One thing that we know is that God is not calling us to be slack in our behavior when it comes to what he's called us to do. You know, one thing we know is that we don't know the exact timing of God's return, of when it's going to begin with the rapture of the church. But one thing that we're called to do according to this epistle is that we are called to be excited. We are called to be in expectancy for what is coming soon. We are to be constantly ready and living by this readiness. And he says that you can do it in holy conduct. And let's look at this word. Let's look at these words that have been given to us. Because as we decipher the words, as we examine the words, it just hits home. And the first thing that he tells us, if you know these things, you ought to be in holy conduct. What does the word holy mean? Holy means to be what? To be set apart. It means to be separated. It's important for us to understand that, that it means to be separated. It means to be set apart. See, you and I are not called to be like the world. Understand that we are called to be what? Different. It's important that we understand that if we are called to be different and if we are not like the world, then we must display this in our conduct. This is what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to a holy conduct. He is calling us to live our lives in a certain manner. And how is that conduct? When we think about our own conduct, right? When you think about how you've been living today, are you living in a holy manner? Or are you living in an unholy manner? Are you living like the world? Or are you different than the world? Are you living for Christ? Or are you not living for Him? See, one thing that we know is that God has called us not to live or to practice in sin. See, it's important for us to know that we are not to be practicing sin. As church people, 
living in and practicing in sin is something that is going to disqualify us from the kingdom of God. See, when you begin to live and practice in sin, in other words, it becomes your lifestyle, after you've given yourself to the Lord, you've definitely taken yourselves, you've taken your eyes off of the Lord. You're not looking for His return. You're not anticipating with great expectancy the fact that He's going to come. Another thing that Peter has told us is that we are to live or to be godly. We are to live in godliness. You know, what What does the word godliness mean? It means something different than holy conduct. We just can't put them together and say, okay, you know what? This is what he's calling us to do. He's calling us also to live in godliness. And what is godliness? See, we need to understand this. The word godliness means piety. And we all think to ourselves, what does piety mean? What does godliness mean? This means that we are to have a reverence for God. We are to be living a life that is devoted to God. See, one is to be conducting ourselves a certain way, and another one is to be living a life that is devoted to God. In other words, we're going to live a life that fears the Lord. How many of us have a fear of God in our lives? You know, not many people do. And I pray that everyone here would come to a sense of having a fear of God. See, we know one thing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all things, right? The Word of God tells us it's the beginning of wisdom. And the Word of God tells us also it's the beginning of knowledge. And we know that as it began this way, right, we understood that, you know what, that we disrespected God, that we sinned against God, that we separated ourselves from God because of our sin. And because we had a fear of God, we wanted to say, you know what, Lord, I want to make things right with you. I want to, you know what, I want to just repent and, and you know what, I just want to turn from my sin and I want to make things right with you. But what happens after this? You know what, after your reverence for God, after your fear of God, what happens after this? Are Christians called to lose their fear of God? Understand one thing that as Christians, once we begin to lose a fear of God, you know what happens to us? We go back to our life of sin. This is what happens. It, it's a natural occurrence. If you begin to lose your fear of God, that you know what you're, what's going to happen is you're going to give life to the old man that was dead. None of us should ever not have a fear of God. We should be walking with a fear of God. This is why people in the church continue to sin. Because there is no fear of God. And for us as Christians, for us that are here in this church, it's important that we have this on the mindset, on the forefront of our mind. It's important that we continue to walk with a fear of God. See, our lives should reflect who we are. We should be walking in holy conduct and in godliness. We know one thing is we don't want to be hypocrites like everyone else. There's enough hypocrites out there. We want to be different. We want to live up to the high calling that God has for us. Verse 12, as we keep reading in the scriptures, it says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements which melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here we've just read verses 12 and 13. 
And the first thing that we see here in verse 12 is that he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. When we look at the word looking for, it's talking to us about looking forward or looking for the new heavens and the new earth. Remember, the day of the Lord is talking about the tribulation period. I mean about the tribulation all the way through the millennial reign. The day of God actually refers to the day when God is going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is what Peter is reminding us of. He's saying, you know what? We should all be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And he's talking about the earth there. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. One thing that we know is that the day of God talks about this new time. It talks about the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the Lord will be reigning in it. See, it is a time... I want you to understand when there will be no more tears, where there will be no more death, where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more pain, no more crying. And the Bible tells us this. It says that this is going to be that time. And I want us to read this. It's in Revelation chapter 21. Let us turn there. That way you know. You don't hear from me, but you hear it in the word of God. In chapter 20, it talks about the millennial kingdom. It talks about the thousand-year reign, and then we're, uh, uh, that's uh, from verses, verses 1 through 6. And then in verse 7 through 10 in chapter 20, it talks about Satan's rebellion when he comes out one more time. And then verses 11 through 15 talks about the great white throne judgment. This is the course of events that I mentioned earlier. And now we're talking about the new heavens and the new earth that will be, that will be ushered in and the old will be dissolved. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 21, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, remember it's the Apostle John that was given this. He was revealed this, and he was asked to write it down for us. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this going to be an awesome time when we see a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell? Where we're not going to be crying, where we're not going to experience death, where we're not going to experience pain and sorrow. It's going to be an amazing time. And this is what we have to look forward to. And this is why Peter is telling us to live in a certain manner. But I'm going to share with you, there are some, and could be in this room here today, there are some that are very fearful of the end times. And let's talk about why some would be fearful of the end times. I think the first reason that people would be fearful of 
these end time events is because they're not sure of their salvation. Isn't that true? Isn't that why somebody would be fearful? Because, you know what, I, I'm not ready for this time because, you know what, I'm not right with God. Well, one thing that you're going to have at the end of the service today, you're going to have an opportunity to make yourself right with God. But one thing that we know is that anyone that surrenders their heart to Jesus Christ, that comes to him in faith, will receive all of the promises that God has for us. And this is one of the promises, that you and I will be reigning with Christ. You and I will be living in eternity with him if we come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read to you from Romans 10.10. It says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you hear the message? This is from the Lord. He's saying, you know what? With the heart one believes unto righteousness. In other words, if you believe, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you will receive this salvation. If you confess to the Lord and tell him, you know what? I'm sorry for my sins. I've sinned against you. I repent. I turn from them. And I, walk, and, and, and I, and I come to you. You know what? We know that you're going to receive what God has for you. The second reason why some people don't want the end times events to come or, you know, they don't want, you know, things to end is because some of you may think or some of you still have goals to meet here on earth. Have you ever heard anyone say, you know what, I don't want the Lord to come yet because, you know what, I still want to do this or I want to do that or I still have these plans I want you to know one thing. If you don't want the Lord to come because you have goals to meet, then this is telling us and telling you that the Lord isn't your priority. Understand that. See, what you are declaring to yourself is that the Lord isn't your first love. That you still have things in the world that you still want to do. See, one thing that we know that the scriptures tell us is about people that love the world and the things in the world. If you still have goals and things you want to do, then that means that your mind is not on the spiritual things, but it is on the things of the flesh. And I want us to turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says there, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Oh, I'm sorry. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. As we see here, you know what? If you don't want the end time prophecies to come to place beginning with the rapture of the church, then you know what? Understand one thing, that the love of the Father is not in you. And it's important that we have to come to a place of just, you know what? Confessing this and coming to a realization of, you know what? Yes, it's important. You know what? I would rather be with God than to be in this world, and we're going to talk about this. But before we go there, 
Let's also talk about the third reason. The third reason that maybe people don't want the Lord to come yet is because maybe all of your loved ones aren't saved. And you know what? And you're saying, you know what? I don't want God to come yet because I want them to be saved. Well, you know what? This is a good thing because today is a day of salvation. And what are we to do? We're supposed to be sharing the truth with our loved ones. You know what? We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're supposed to be praying for them. We're supposed to be an example for them. And so as we think about this one, it is a good thing. Some, and this is the fourth reason why some maybe don't want this, these things to take place. Some dread that they will be going through the tribulation period. Understand one thing, that if you truly have come to the faith, if you are a son of God, you will not go through the tribulation period and we went over this last month, but I want to give you the scripture that references it. It's from 1 Thessalonians 5.9. And what it says there, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand one thing about the tribulation period. The tribulation period is when God will bring forth the wrath of God onto this world. In other words, the wrath of God will fall upon this world and anybody that is in it. And we need to understand one thing, is that God has not called us, which are his people. He has not appointed us to wrath, is what his word says. So that's why we believe in the rapture that will take place before the tribulation period. As we go back to the scriptures in 2 Peter. As we go back to the scriptures, Peter also tells us, in verse 12, he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What does the word hasten mean? The word hasten means speedily, quickly, eagerly anticipating his return. Why do we eagerly anticipate the return of Christ? Why do we anticipate that? Why are we waiting for it? Why do we want it to come? Because as the scripture says, that righteousness will reign. See, you and I should all want this. You and I should all want this here on earth. We know that it, it is in heaven, in the third heaven, but it's not on earth. See, one thing that we know is that when the new heavens and the new earth come, everything will be abs there will be an absence of sin and wickedness on everything that comes down, on the new heavens and the new earth that the Lord will be bringing forth. See, when we look at the world today, we know that in the world today there's what? Sin, there's lies, there's murder, there's deceit, there's death, there's stealing, there's hatred, there's adultery. You know what? All you have to do is to find out what's going on in this world. You just have to turn on the news, don't you? You could turn on channel 2, channel 4, channel 5, channel 7, channel 9, 11, 13. And then you got all the cable TV, uh, channels. And you can see what's going on in the world. Understand one thing. All of this brings us what? Sorrow and pain. It brings us tears. And no one thing, when the new heavens and the new earth come, it's going to be absent of this. See, how many of you are tired of the pain that this world has brought you? How many of you have been crying and have been shedding tears because of of the things that this world has, has brought you. 
See, one thing that we know is that in the new heavens and the new earth, sin is no longer going to reign as it reigns today. See, none of us are going to experience the things that we experience today in the new heavens and the new earth. See, this is why Peter reminds us this is what we should be looking forward to. There's not one of us that should hold on to a place that brings us pain and sorrow. You know what? No matter what, no matter if you do the things that you want to do in this world, the world is still going to dish out what pain, isn't it? You're still going to experience sorrow and death, death of loved ones, death of relationships. You know, and this is what causes sorrow in our hearts. But in the new place, in the new heavens and the new earth, none of this is going to happen. And Peter reminds us that this place where we live today, the heavens, the first and the second, and the earth that we see here, we know that it's all going to burn. You know what? It's going to burn. The judgment on earth is no longer going to be by water. The first judgment that came upon the earth because of the sin and wickedness that was on the earth, it was by water, wasn't it? It was in the days of Noah. Remember, the Lord was so disappointed because there was just so much sin that was going on. And he, he was just, you know what, I got to get rid of it. It's like, you know what, it's like a cancer. It, it's, gonna, it's just continuing to spread and there's nothing good in it with the exception of Noah and his family. And so the Lord brought in water and he, and, and, and he just flooded the earth and everything that was in it passed away. And so he promised us that, you know what, I'm never going to send water again as a judgment upon the earth. But what I'm going to do next is what Peter reveals to us, that it's all going to burn. Everything that you see here will burn. The heavens and the earth, not the place where God dwells, but we're talking about the heaven that we see and the atmosphere around it, the galaxies, but not where the third heaven is, where Christ is and where God is and where the people of God dwell, but everything else will burn. Let's keep reading in verse 14. It says in verse 14, it says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Again, you know what? Therefore, right? As a result of knowing these things, Peter says, beloved. In other words, it's a term of endearment for us. He says, let's look forward to the things. Let's be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. When he talks about let's be diligent, he means, you know what? Let's be persistent. Let's be persevering in these things. And the first thing he says, to be found by him in peace. What does he mean by this? What does Peter mean by in peace? Is there a peace in you when Christ returns? In other words, are you at peace right now in your walk with Christ? Are you living a life that brings glory and honor to the Lord? Are you living for His glory? Are you still living for yourself? Are you still living for your jobs? Are you still living for, for you know what, for those things that are secondary when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? Peter also states that we should be what? Without spot. You are to make every effort not to have stains or blemishes in your life. Have you ever had, well, I think we all have, right? We've all had nice shirts and blouses. 
And what ruins a nice shirt and a blouse? A stain, doesn't it? You know what? When you have a nice shirt on and then you have a stain, people's eyes usually focus on what? <laughs> the stain, right? Do you want your life, do you want your stains to be focused on? You know what? The Lord doesn't want us to have spots. He wants us, as the next word says, is to be blameless. In other words, your reputations should be good. When they speak of you, when pe the people that know you, they should be saying good things about you. You know what? People, when they talk about you, they should be saying, you know what? These good and awesome things about you. You know what? They shouldn't be bringing up your bad behavior. They should be bringing up your what? Your good behavior. We want to leave a good reputation. If we say we belong to the Lord, then let us live up to that calling. Let us live for that high calling that God has called us to. You know, we spoke on the great white throne judgment. And you know what? I truly believe that as Peter is talking about to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I also believe that he's talking to us as believers because one thing that we know is from the writings of Paul that we're going to be going through, uh, it's, called a, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. And when we talk about this Bema seat, one thing that we need to understand it is not the same judgment seat that non-believers are going to go through. Theirs was called the great white throne judgment. There is also a judgment that is going to be for believers, but it's not on your sin or, or you know what, your bad behavior. It is actually a time where Christ will evaluate your works. See, it is a time when the Lord will judge the works that you did in his name. Did you know that as soon as you became a believer, that God is taking notes of all your works and you will be judged for them? Everything that you did, God will be judging you on these works. And did you know one thing that's going to happen is that once God, once the Lord raptures his church, do you know what's going to happen after that? is that every believer will sit on this judgment seat. Did you know that every believer will be there before the church of Christ and all of your works will be revealed to all? I want us to look at this through the scriptures. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul reveals this judgment seat of Christ. He reveals about the Bema seat. And I've been talking about the Bema seat. In case you didn't know, in the Greek, Bema means judgment. That's why they call it the Bema seat. In verse 9, it says, Therefore, again, well, we can, we're not going to read previous, but it says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Again, the same message that we've been reading in Peter. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
You know, it's important for us also, and you don't need to turn here, but I'm going to read to you from Romans 14. It also references the Bema seat, the judgment seat. In Romans chapter 14, in verse 10, it says here, it says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. See, you and I will be going through this beam of seat as believers. And it's a time to receive the rewards from Christ for the things that were done for his glory and for his honor. When you did things for selfish reasons or you did things because you were in the flesh, you know what? Those things are going to burn. But those things that are going to go through the fire that you're going to receive rewards for are, is, are for the things that you did for the glory of God. And this is what we look forward to. And one thing we know is that the rewards are going to be given to us. But in going back to 2 Peter, let us continue reading this as we're, going to we're, we're, we're seeking to conclude this today. It says here in verse 14, uh, as it talked about being without spot and blameless. I want you to know something about the false teachers. See, because for us, God has called us to be without spot and to be blameless. Did you know false teachers? If you look at 2 Peter 2, verse 13, it says there that the false teachers are spots and blemishes. He has called us to be without spot and to be blameless. Do you know who he wants us to follow? Peter, in talking about the Lord, in 1 Peter 1.19 he talks about the Lord like this. He says, a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, Peter is encouraging us to follow the example of the Lord. He's encouraging us to walk without spot, to be blameless just as the Lord was. And then verse 15 goes on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, and consider that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. You know what? We covered last week the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is what he wants for all, doesn't he? He desires that none should perish. He doesn't look forward to anyone's death, but he desires that everyone should come to repentance and today is a day of salvation. This is that period that we live in. And this is what he's reminding us of. You know what? That the heart of Christ, one of his character, one of his attributes is that he is long-suffering. You know what? He waits. He waits for people to repent. And one thing that we know about the Lord is that does the Lord speak or does he give his gospel message through animals or through trees or through whatever other means to communicate a message. I want you to know one thing. God uses people to communicate the gospel message, just like I'm communicating it now. You know what? The gospel message is, has been appointed by man, has been appointed by God to give through man to others. 
And one thing we know is that He has chosen us to give forth this message to our loved ones. And this is why He's telling us, consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Today is a day of salvation. Today we should be busy in giving out this message, in going out and sharing the gospel with people that we meet, people that we come across, with our loved ones. And as it keeps reading in verse 15, it says, As our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Peter here brings up Paul. Did you know that Peter was rebuked by Paul because he was being or he was playing the hypocrite? He would behave one way with the Jews and he would behave another way with the non-Jews. And we know one thing that Peter did is, I mean that Paul did is he rebuked Peter for this and he did it in front of all. But we see here that Peter didn't hold any hard feelings towards Paul because Peter knew in himself that what he was doing was right. I mean, was wrong. And we know that Paul rebuked him for this. And so we have here is just a testament of who Paul was in the eyes of Peter. And we know that the scriptures, they're not written by man. I want you to understand. I mean, they're written by man, but they are inspired by the Spirit of God. In other words, they are God-breathed. They are spoken by God. And all God did was use man just as he uses us to give the gospel. He uses men or he used men to write the truth of God for us. And so what we have here is that Peter is saying, you know what, Paul? Paul has written scripture. I am validating the fact that Peter has written scripture. I mean, that Paul has written scripture. In verse 16, as we read it again, it says, As also in all Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable, unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. The fact that he is saying, as they do also to the rest of Scripture, he is saying that, you know what, the writings of Paul are actually Scripture. And we know as we read and we've gone through the writings of Paul that they are the truth of God. And they all align themselves with the message of Christ. And one thing we know about Paul is that he wrote about the judgment seat. You know what? That's a difficult concept to understand. But would we have known this truth unless the Lord revealed it to Paul and Paul wrote it for us to understand? Paul also wrote about the end time events. He talked about the rapture. He talked about how we're going to be taken up into heaven. He talked about all the events that would take place. He talked about the church and he talked about Israel, how we're two different entities and how God has plans for both Israel and both for the church. These things were really a mystery to everyone and Paul wrote about these things. And as we have gone through them, we know one thing is that the false teachers, they were twisting these things, weren't they? And they were twisting the scriptures. And one thing we know about these things that were twisted, we know that there is a judgment for those that twist the scriptures. Do you know what their just judgment is? 
is destruction. False teachers will receive destruction. When they twist the scriptures, they will receive destruction. And you know one thing that we know is that what happens to those that follow those that twist the scriptures, they in turn will also face destruction. One thing that we know for us that are truly born again, that have received the Spirit of God, we know that the Spirit of God has been given to us and the scriptures reveal to us that those that have the Spirit of God can understand the things of the Spirit. But the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. And one thing about the false teachers is that they don't have the Spirit of God. That's why they couldn't understand it, and so they were twisting it for their own good. And verse 17 goes on to say, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. As I mentioned to you, you know what? The warning is there. Peter says, beware. And what does the word beware means? It means to be on guard. You and I are to be on guard. Have you ever walked by a, by a fence that has beware of dog? And when we, you walk by, what's the first thing that comes at you? This big bark, right? And so you know to yourself, you know what? Am I actually going to open that gate? No, I've been put on guard. In other words, you know what? You don't just, if you don't see the dog, you're not going to open the gate to see if there is a dog or not. You're going to be on guard because you know that there is probably a pet bull, a German shepherd, or a big Rottweiler or something there that's going to attack you. And so we're on guard, right? And we're not going to fall into their deceptive practices. One thing that happens here when it comes to the truth of God, we are to hold the truth of God, a truth of God in our hearts. Because false teachers will come. Understand this. You will be approached by a false teacher in your lifetime, not only once, not only twice, but three, four. You could be approached 20 to 100 times or 1,000 times. I don't know how many times, but God knows. But he wants us to be on guard with this. And one thing that we know is that <clears throat> here, what we want to do is we want to teach you the full counsel of God. We emphasize the word. Because if we, know you, if we give you the word, we know that the word is going to be heard by you and it's going to take root within your hearts. And so as a church, understand one thing that we are not here just to save the lost because there are churches that are out there that are only preaching the word of God. But we are here to teach you the word of God. And the reason we want you to, teach, we want you to be taught the word of God is so that you can know the word of God. See, the church responsibility is not just to save the lost, but it's also to disciple the church people. That's why when the announcements were made, did they not tell you that we have a discipleship class that happens after church? Not only do we disciple you here, but we also have another class specifically meant to disciple each and every one of you. One thing about churches that teach the word of God, they become strong, strong in the word of God as we give you the full counsel of God so you lack nothing. And then in verse 18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge. 
When we talk about grace, what does grace mean? Grace means what? God's unmerited favor, right? In other words, you receive the blessings of God. You receive salvation and everything that comes with it. Not because of anything that you've done, but because God freely gives it. You didn't earn it, but God decided to give it to you. One thing we know about knowledge, right? We've been talking about the truth of the word. You know what? We give you the truth of the word so that you do not fall to uh, pray to false teachers. And we know that as you, get, as you read the word, as you're taught the word, that you're gaining knowledge. But see, this isn't really what Peter is instructing us. Do you know what Peter is referencing here? As we read it in verse 18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter wants you to grow in the Lord's grace, in the Lord's knowledge. In other words, what Peter is saying, I want you to know the Lord personally. How many of you know neighbors and celebrities, right? Each one of us know our neighbors and we know celebrities. But do you know them intimately? In other words, do you know them personally? Do you know what's in their hearts and in their minds? Many of us don't. You know what? We know them by name and we say, hey, you know what? How you doing, Richard, my neighbor? Or how you doing, Alice, my neighbor? But I don't know what's in their heart. I don't know them personally. See, I can't tell you their likes and their dislikes. I can tell you what, you know, what, what they want or what they don't like and what they like. See, when it comes to Jesus Christ, Peter is instructing us to grow in his grace, in his knowledge, to know the Lord personally, to have a great relationship with him. And the only way to do that is how? Is as we get into his word. This is how you and I are going to grow in His grace. We're going to understand His great love for us. We're going to understand that, you know what, that the heart of Christ, which was the fact that He loved you, and He died for you, and He prepared a place for you, and He wants you to reign forever and ever with Him. He doesn't want anything to separate you from Him. This is the mind and the will of God for you and for me. And the only way to know this is by getting into his word. Knowing that all of this can only be accomplished because it's the grace of God to accept sinners like us that have rejected him and talked about him and mocked him and to still love us and to still give us all that he has for us. God wants us to know him personally. God wants you to come to a place of growing in him. You know, one thing that we know is that in order to get to know the Lord, we are called to grow in Him. You know, you all make the effort to get to know friends and loved ones, right? You all spend time with them and, and say, you know what, the only reason I spend time with you is because I want to get to know you. I want to know who you are. I mean, you don't say it verbally, but you do it with your actions. Let us do the same with the Lord. You know what? Let us read His Word. Let us pray. Let us get into the Word. Let us be a part of fellowship. Let us, you know what? Just do all God has called us to do. You know, serving the Lord. These are all things that God has called us to do. You begin to know what Christ is when you begin to serve others because you begin to have His will and His mind and who He is. He came to serve and not to be served. You know, He wants you praying just like He prayed. 
You know, he wants you reading his word because he wants to speak to you. He wants you around other believers because he lo- he's around other believers. He's in our midst. And this is what he wants for us. And I love what, the way Peter finishes this. And we're going to finish it this way too. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Understand one thing about glory. There is no man that will ever share in the glory of God. One thing that we know is that God deserves all glory. And God deserves all glory. Why? Because it is through him that we receive redemption. It is through him that we receive salvation. It is through him that we receive gifts, that we receive blessings. It is through him that we have eternal life. It is through him that we are heirs to reign with Christ. It is through him that gives us the ability to serve him. That you know that it is his that it is him that supplies our every need. If you're ever wondering about serving and and trying to figure out, you know what, I can't serve because I don't know those things. Well, you're right, you don't know it, but he gives you the gifts and he gives you his spirit to work in and through you to do these things. It is him that gets the glory. The fact that this church is planted here, it is his church, it's not my church. He receives the glory. The fact that all of you are here as a part of this church, uh, sitting in this place, it is to him that goes the glory because it's his words, not my words. See, this is what Peter was saying. Peter says, to him be the glory. There is no one else that deserves glory. No one else that created the heavens and the earth. No one else that that has prepared a new heavens and a new earth for us. No one else that is going to take us out of this, of the tribulation period. No one that's going to be able to take you out of of this earth to be united with Christ in the clouds. Only God deserves the glory. And what Peter was trying to tell us is let us live for his glory. What manner of conduct should we be? You know what? For all that God has done for us, Should we not live in holy conduct? Should we not live in godliness? Should we not live without spot? Should we not live to be blameless? Should we not be at peace with our walk with Christ? This is how I want to leave you. The message that the Lord has for us. Is to live godly. And he will be glorified in and through your lives that live godly also. In everything, God receives all glory and honor and praise. And with that, we will close. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you, Lord. Lord, as we've been going through 2 Peter, Lord, and we go into 1 John, Lord, it was so awesome. Just all the things that you taught us, from Second Peter, Lord. All the truths, Lord Jesus. We know one thing that Peter's mindset was to have knowledge. Knowledge of these things that will move us into living for his glory and for his honor. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to go through this book. Allowing us to learn all these deep things, Lord. And Lord, help us to meditate on them. Help us to ponder them. May we not allow these things just to fall on deaf ears. But may we allow them to seek deep within our hearts. 
If there's anyone here that wants to receive all that the Lord has for you, we know that it first starts with a fear of the Lord. We know that it all starts when you say, you know what? I need you, Lord. I'm sorry for the sins that I've done. You know what? It's when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If anyone wants to get right with God or if anyone wants to give themselves to the Lord for the first time, whether you commit or recommit your life, today is a day of salvation. To the day is a day when all things begin brand new. If this is you, I ask that you would raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now? Anybody wanting to surrender yourself to the Lord? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else that wants to do this? Anyone else? God has eternity for each and every one of us. And he desires that none should perish. If there's anyone else that wants to recommit their lives to the Lord or commit their lives to the Lord, we give you this opportunity. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Amen. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? For those two that raised their hands, I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Sorry for sinning against you. I come today to ask your forgiveness to walk away from this sin and to turn to you. You died for me, for my sins. And I thank you for that. As your word says, give me your spirit so that I can live a life that is pleasing to you. I love you, and I give you my heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.